Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome, everyone, to the Pine Letter Podcast. My name is Paul LaFaber. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is Friday, the 5th of August, 2022, and it is another fine day in Pineland. Absolutely. Blessed to be here. I saw something today, Paul, that kind of uh, caught my eye, and uh, I don't know if we've, uh, if you're familiar with the term the fourth turning or not. No, that's new. Um but basically, the idea is a turning is a generational period of about 20 years. Mm. And uh, so the, the theory is that about four generations go by and we have sort of a significant upheaval in society. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to read a little something that I thought was kind of interesting. It kind of explained the fourth turning a little. Uh, these are times that try men's souls. We've all heard that. Um, Thomas Paine wrote that in 1775 in his publication, The American Crisis. Uh, but what's not so well remembered today are the words that follow that famous quote. And it goes like this. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict the more glorious the triumph. Now, at that time, colonial America was passing through the early stages of a fourth turning, an historical time of crisis that occurs roughly every 80 years. And as a point of reference, the first turning is a period of renewal, one in which a historical crisis is ended. The populace has risen to the occasion, thrown off tyranny, and conquered social, political, and economic tribulation. Having done so, they now create a renewal based on hard work, personal responsibility, and moral integrity. Second turning uh, starts getting a little worse, okay? Start pursuing high-mindedness and social concerns, and along the way, we also pursue self-indulgence. It's sort of a deterioration begins in the second turning. The third turning, again, is a generation later, where the complacency sets in, and politically, those individuals who are sociopathic tend to rise in political spheres, and they replace the older generation of responsible people. They tend to raise taxes, increase social welfare programs, and increase government spending in every way. And really, any excuse to seize increased power over the populace. So then in the fourth turning, again, a generation later, power having been seized, the sociopaths seek total power, the elimination of all freedoms to be replaced by totalitarian rule. Historically, in a third turning, a complacent people make it possible for the sociopaths to take power. And in a fourth turning, the sociopaths exert that power. It matters little 
whether the excuses put forward by political leaders are climate control, racial equity, cancel culture, owning nothing, digital IDs, transhumanism, vaccine mandates, or Green New Deal. The objective is singular, total dominance of the ruling class over the subservient class. Any excuse will do if it has totalitarian rule as its outcome. In any fourth turning, those who are more thoughtful and forward-thinking will begin to make sense of the ruse, but they find themselves being heavily criticized by all. The media will do all within their power to slap down those who denounce the ruling class. But more to the point, the greater po- the proportion of the populace will remain in their slumber and resist the awakening strenuously. It is at such a time that the few who have figured out the ruse experience their greatest challenge, whether to speak out or whether to just go along. This group must struggle in the darkness to a great degree. As the majority of the population fight against an awakening, as it disturbs their complacency and is too horrendous to contemplate. The latter half of the fourth turning becomes a chaotic and confusing period one in which many people desperately hope to get just get along, whilst though, those who are more visionary become increasingly aware that their freedoms are being flushed away on a wholesale basis. And whilst it is the smaller, more visionary group that creates the spark of change, it is historically a different and unlikely group that actually creates substantive change in the latter half. The group that turns the tide is the group that is often called the hoi polloi, or a term that means the average guy, the populace, the people. At some point, the average guy who simply wanted to be allowed to get on with his life, go to work, mow the lawn, sit on the couch with a six-pack, watch the game, has had his life so disrupted by the ruling sociopaths and they're increasingly manic. Well, we just got uh, our guest just called in. George, how you doing? Hey, listen, just uh, okay. hold on with me here. I'm going to finish reading this little thing, and then uh, we're going to introduce you and bring you on, all right? All righty. Okay. So it's really this, uh, this, this, uh, this group that was just hanging out, watching the game and drinking beer, uh, the hoi polloi, that really makes the difference. Because they finally just have enough. And um, we've seen that uh, up in Canada, right, with the truckers. Uh, We're kind of watching that now a little bit over uh, in Europe. You mean the small fringe minority? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what they call that. At some point, people just get up and they they go, you know what? Um, I'm going to jump in my truck and I'm going to join this group. And when you get enough of those people doing that, yep. you know, that's when things really start changing. And then, and of course, now we're seeing the farmers doing the same thing with the tractors over in Europe. Yep. And, uh, and it'll just, it'll, this, 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 this uh, movement will continue in, in various different places as people have just had enough. But I just wanted to introduce the fourth turning because uh, you may hear it out there. Um, I've, I've heard uh, various people uh, bring it up uh, in the media, and I think it 
has some accuracy to it. And uh, so for some people that are out there and maybe a little anxious and kind of look around going like, what is going on? Some people offer the fact that this is sort of just a normal cycle that we kind of go through as a people. And it takes about four generations to where, you know, we kind of need to get up off our butt again and uh, start being, you know, quit being complacent mm. and sort of get, get things fixed. And I think that's kind of where we're at. But uh, today our guest, uh, we're really honored to have a, a good friend of mine. Um, and, and, and our audience, we've kind of neglected our audience on this topic. We, we, we talk about a lot of things, but we haven't really had a chance to talk about firearms yet, Paul. Firearms. And uh, for, those of, uh, for those of you out there, especially uh, our European listeners, um, that really sometimes look at Americans and scratch their head thinking, what the hell is going on over there? Um, in America, we have a... It, in, in our DNA, okay, we have a certain... Um, we feel a certain duty and responsibility... Uh, to take things matters in our own hands. Uh, that 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 entails the security of our family. Um, it, it entails every aspect of life. Now, even in America and Europe as well, it seems that um, when you get more urbanized, you you have this tendency to think that everything should be provided for you. You know the store should be open when you need when you need to go down there. The items that you need are supposed to be sitting on the shelf. Those items should be affordable. If I if someone's giving me some problems, I should just be able to you know say, "Excuse me, officer, can you come here and handle this for for me?" Um, if I need a ride, some you know the taxi automatically shows up. Um, it's 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 seventy two degrees every day. You know the thermostat's right there. In America, we, we have a tendency not to want to dump that responsibility off on others. We feel like we have the responsibility ourselves to take care of all of these matters. Now, that's, that's going away slowly. Okay? But part of that, a big part of that, I think, is obviously the ability to defend ourselves and our families, and that's where firearms come in. And so today we have uh, George Chlebowski. Or, or who I like to call the Big Chlebowski. And uh, he is uh, one of the guys that I had the pleasure of working with in Afghanistan. Uh, we worked on uh, specialty weapons, uh, special, uh, special operations forces, specialty weapons uh, over in Afghanistan. So we would uh, travel throughout Afghanistan uh, helping the uh, ODAs out with their various uh, weapon weaponry, uh, inspection, repair, and classes on them. Uh, so we decided to bring George on today to uh, talk about weapons and uh, really just kind of introduce weapons to the novice and talk about some of those uh, just basic things that uh, uh, one should consider before purchasing a firearm and, uh, and how to get trained and what have you. So, George, welcome to the Pinelander. Well, thank you. Um Paul, I know you, you put together a couple questions. I know you and I talked about some things we wanted to ask George today, so maybe I'll just kind of turn it over yeah. to you and we'll kind of get this thing going. Hey, George, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the Pinelander, and, uh, and I know you have a weapons background, 
so, uh, you know, I don't. Uh, Mike doesn't. He has uh, a little bit more weapons uh, proficiency than I do in certain areas. But, uh, yeah, but yeah. So what we wanted to do uh, on this episode is talk about weapons for home defense. And, uh, George, I know that you have thought that through. Uh, you probably have a small arsenal at your house, if I can envision what it would look like. Uh, with strong points and uh, maybe some mortars and machine guns and stuff like that, and you know, but uh, but I wanted to just kind of kick things off and talk about home defense and just ask you what are some of the basics to consider when it comes to home defense. Okay, um, the first thing you want to consider is uh, your level of proficiency or knowledge of firearms. Um, how well do you know firearms? Do you know them at all? Or are you a novice or a beginner? Um, that's what's going to first you first have to consider um, is your level of knowledge. Um, I, I mean, yeah, that's obviously going to so be. You, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I stepped on you. Go ahead. So once you understand your level of knowledge, whether it be from just operating a simple twenty-two long rifle. Um, firearm, a, sh a shotgun, or a handgun, um, once you understand that level, and that gives you that capability then to either increase that knowledge, um, hopefully you'll be able to get to a range and do some shooting, um, reach out to some other shooters so you can understand and increase your knowledge on what's available and how to operate those farms safely. Once you take that step, then what you want to do then is get in the most compact farm that you can't able to control. What I mean by compact is obviously you do not need a hunting shotgun with a long 28, 30-inch barrel because um, you won't be able to use it as effectively inside of a home with uh, furniture in the way, doorways and whatnot. So the more compact the firearm is, the easier it will be for you to utilize in a home environment. The second thing in consideration is don't go too low, i.e. a 22 handgun. Well, it's very easy to shoot. Um, it does have this limitation on stopping power. So you always want to try and find that best uh, medium, happy medium that you can control and utilize. From there, taking into consideration a um, couple of other aspects. Again, I mentioned stopping power. Cartridge, like I said, um, whether it could be a 38 or Nine millimeter, five five six or two twenty three Remington. Now these are not very powerful cartridges. You want a more powerful cartridge? You go up to like a three hundred one mag, and, but that is way more than you need in a home defense environment. Yeah, hey George, I'm glad but you. The, uh, those, yeah, I'm glad you uh, you mentioned that first. Is uh, uh, and, and our listeners probably remember it was not too long ago that. Uh, our present uh, president, he talked about how a shotgun would be, you know, the best thing for your wife to have around. And I think the idea was to get rid of 
the carbine. But uh, but I'm hearing something totally different from you here. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, now with it, when it comes to the shotgun versus uh, like a like a pistol, uh, you're saying for you know because your first fundamental is just you're talking about your compact. Obviously, if you have uh, uh, so I mean you would just would you swear off shotguns altogether? Because I know this is a, there's a debate out there. Yeah, the, uh, um, shotguns are very effective in a short range of armament, especially in a home defense. Even with, uh, I prefer double odd buck, just because of my training and past experience. Um, then number four buck in, in twelve gauge, but even just bird shot inside of a home at a short range, it's going to be effective. You still have an ounce of lead being launched. And it's going to be impacting on target, almost contact distance, working as just a one-inch slug and barely just opening up that real, we're talking yards. Right. So it's, it's not like getting a, into multi-digit. Right. Um, so, yeah. So and one thing to consideration is if you talked about a worldwide environment uh, acceptance, Shotguns, even shotguns by the UN, they turned a blind eye to single shot, double barreled, either side by side or stack barrel um, shotguns. You can find those in just about any government around the world. 12 gauge is universally available around the world. Now, there are there might be some restrictions on, say, double odd buck, and they just allow birdshot. Again, at contact distance inside of a home, it's going to be effective. However, generally, those arms are going to have longer barrels. There are ways to help mitigate that, uh, to shorten that distance on the shotgun, not make it, instead of taking a normal shouldering stance with the shotgun, bring it up to your shoulder, tuck the buttstock underneath your armpit. That will reduce some of your overall length, making it a bit more easier to use in a, in a home defense environment. Because in a, in a home defense, um, in a home defense uh, environment, it's, it's not really necessary all the time to be looking down the barrel and, and sighting in your target. I mean, we're talking about the distances there. You can pretty much just generally be pointed in the right direction and be okay? Somewhat. Um, yeah, again, even at a very short range, yes, you can have just pointed in the general direction. Again, we are talking inside of a room. Right. Anything outside of a single room, you want to be able to, you got to be able to at least generally point it, maybe not with a pinpoint accuracy, um, but it's still got to be looking down the barrel. 20, yes. And you can do by tucking in your, um, underneath your armpit, you can get a good reference point. You get your muzzle right there in front. You still got, you got to look at your muzzle. You can't just bring the shotgun up and fire down the hallway you'll miss if you do that down a hallway. But if you're inside of a room, you're talking only two, three yards, maybe five at the max. 
it's going to work for you. Hey, George, I kind of stepped on you earlier. You, you mentioned uh, compact uh, stopping power. I think you were getting ready to go into a, maybe a third, uh, you know, basic there. Yeah, consideration. Uh, yeah, the, again, like I said, that the more compact it is um, on, a, on a long arm, the more you're going to be able to utilize it more effectively inside of, um, inside of buildings. Now, as I get into compactness, one of the advantage of a handgun by being so compact, you're able to carry it with you all the time. That's the advantage of a handgun. But a handgun does not have as much stopping power as a long arm. But it does allow you to always have it with you. And that's the first rule of a gunfight is to have a gun. Any gun, period. <laughs> Right on. Because all a handgun is going to do, be able to do, since it's always with you, is be able to survive that a surprise attack at close distance. So hopefully you can either fight your way to a bigger gun or take care of the situation right then and there. Right on. Hey, uh, so George, I was. Uh, uh, you've talked about uh, uh, various types of weapons, and one thing I was curious about is when it. What do we want to think about when it comes to like. Uh, uh, bullet type cartridge uh, caliber type because uh, we're looking at uh, maybe overpressure and you know going through one wall and the next and are there some considerations uh, in that environment? Um, on that one for caliber uh, stopping power again look at your experience what you can control um, I hunt with a handgun, and I've also done competition, and I practice shooting a handgun nine mil out to 300 meters, maybe because I'm always out in a combat environment, and that's what I have to do. Um, but the you always want to be able to practice as much as possible and to have as much control with whatever you find. Now. As far as ammunition, again, um, a lot of places are going to restrict you outside the United States on what type of ammunition you can have. Generally, they do not allow hollow points. What a hollow point is going to be able to do is effectively increase the diameter of the bullet as it hits the target and reduces the penetration. So it stays in the target and it's more effective. A lot of places around the world, you're gonna be restricted to just round nose, either full metal jacket or just lead bullets. Um, so you don't have the option for expansion. Now, most of your auto-loading pistol cartridges are fully controllable. And being round nose is also gonna aid in your reliability of the handgun or any firearm, because it's it's just more reliable that way. But uh, I have no problems. From my experience, like I said, I'm a handgun hunter. I shoot uh, 41-44 Magnum 
um, extensively, and I shoot those out of long range because I hunt with them. But are they ideal for a home defense? Not really, because they're over-penetrative. And that's another thing you want to consider is that anytime you pull that trigger, it is what is also behind the target. Because if you do over-penetrate, you, you want to minimize that. And the way you can do that is just by angles. Just you drop down a bit lower and you shoot a bit of an angle upwards. So if someone is behind, then you at least you try and get the direction of the bullet, not keep going straight behind the target. Right on. And uh, I think something also is good for our listeners is uh, something we call the four cardinal rules of weapon safety. Uh, the first one is to uh, treat every weapon as, as though it's loaded. Uh, the second is uh, you don't point your weapon at anything you're not intending to destroy. The third is to keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to actively engage. And then the fourth, as uh, George just mentioned, is to know your target and what's behind the target. And so, yeah, great points, George. Hey, a qu- uh, question for you also. For uh, I mean, you covered, you got into the tactics also. So I had a question for, uh, just when it comes to home defense, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, your crouching position, kind of your stance uh, when you're engaging someone who is broken into your house. Uh, question for you here uh, on a more basic level, uh, like where you would keep your weapon. Uh, I mean, what would you prefer, like a nightstand? I mean, obviously, this if you have some children, th- this would uh, determine your answer. But how would how do you prefer to leave your and uh, have your weapons in your house? And what are some of the some of the talking points for that? Well, that, that's that's again, that's going to be a personal question based on everybody's. Um, environment that they're living in in their situation like i said uh normally me and my wife are usually at, um are the only ones in our home so i have no problem having guns all over the place however uh, now i have my four-year-old grandson living with us um so i do now i do have to have a level of um to keep his yeah. one of hands off of it, now I have a lockbox by the uh, the bed. Mm-hmm. So at night, the of course I've also that's my everyday carry. Um, so instinctively, I know how to work the gun. Wife, all other firearms are all locked up in the safe, but pretty much a quick access to that if I need to. Yeah, I know my wife and I, we uh, purchased one of those, um, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it's sort of a, um, a quick access safe that uses uh, a fingerprint swipe. So basically you just run, the, you know, run your finger over the uh, top of it and it pops open. So even, uh, you know, now there's a lot of like uh, pretty nice, um, items out there that that one can get that kind of satisfies all your needs as far as um, having the firearm locked up to where uh, young children can't uh, access them, but you still can get to them in a hurry if you need to. Yeah. 
another one is just um, is if that's not the if you don't have that available. Another consideration is just to have say if it's a um, an auto loading pistol, you just have it unloaded with a magazine preloaded next to the gun. Because then all you got to do is insert the magazine and then rack the sliding chamber around. Now, smaller hands generally do not have the capability to um, cycle the weapon. Yeah, yeah it'd be, that'd be difficult again, for the four-year-old to rack, you know, to rack the uh, slide. Yeah. Right. But then again, that's also going to slow you down in presenting the weapon and takes two hands to do that. And that's an assumption that you're making that you're going to have those two hands available. It's the same assumption that's going to have, do you have enough time to even use the finger locks to open up a, um, a gun safe, the pistol box? So those are all considerations you have to make for each individual. Um, and it can also be like if you have an AR-15 or AK next to the bed, even here in... Iraq, where I just got back into Baghdad today, a citizen has the, the right to have a rifle and 60 rounds of ammunition. So you can have an AK in a home legally here in Iraq with two full loaded magazines. And that's a, this isn't a sporting rifle. This is a full military grade AK-47 select fire so you get semi or full automatic they have that right even here in Iraq to have that so you can have a magazine in and still then all you got to do is chamber around then um, or you just have a round chamber and on safe and just placed higher up where a four-year-old can't reach it those are all considerations that you everybody has to make on what they have available to them in their situation. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned the fact that uh, you're on the other side of the planet. Uh, for those of you that are listening and might hear some of the uh, uh, static, yeah, some of the static, what have you. Um, but anyway, we're still honored to have uh, George. What time is it over there? Because I know it's uh, it's it's probably some kind of crazy it's time. Three thirty. Yeah. So anyway, uh, three thirty <laughs> in the morning. You know. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know we got you up early. Got the got You're the coffee. Trooper, got the coffee going there. So uh, yeah. and we're and we're but we we do appreciate uh, uh, taking the time out of your day and, and uh, talking about a, a, a most important topic here. Hey George, uh, just curious. Uh, it seems like your first pick is a pistol, uh, which is for me. Uh, I wonder if you could just take a take a shout out for any type of. Uh, particular brand that you would recommend? I appreciate that. Uh, do you have a favorite brand of handgun, George? Um, I've got, for a revolver, I prefer Smith & Wesson. Um, I've got a lot of favorites of uh, different types of action, unique guns, HKP7s, Kunin 57 autos, um, 1911s, Glocks, Berettas. This, they all have their 
Oh, uniqueness about it, all of them. Then again, I'm a good nut, so I will, the more unique, the more I'm interested in it. Yeah. Give me a C93 broom handle. I've had someone tell me uh, one time that um, the NATO type uh, calibers are really kind of the way to go just because of availability. Uh, nine mil, five five six, seven six two. I mean, you can always find these no matter where you're at. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, that is very true. Again, those are also your universal cartridges. Um, nine mil, twelve gauge, five five six, seven six two by thirty nine can be found anywhere in the world. I'm a world traveler. I've been uh, pretty much. All over Europe, Middle East, um, all through the North America, uh, limited through Australia and Asia. Since uh, haven't been down uh, South America or Antarctica yet, but uh, <laughs> those cartridges, nine mil, twelve gauge, five five six seven six two by thirty nine can generally be found anywhere around the world and add in 22 long rifle. Very nice. Hey. Now, there are yeah. some countries that are going to restrict, like in Mexico, where you cannot have a military cartridge. Same thing with Italy. So then you have like 9x20 or 9x21, which is just an elongated um, 9 by 19 cartridge case, but you still have the same overall dimensions that work in the same handguns, but it's just a different caliber um, for that those countries. Very nice. Hey, uh, so as far as like, uh, could you maybe talk through like uh, accoutrements, uh, like sights and lights and stuff like that? Um, or maybe you can just comment on my particular uh, uh, flavor of pistol, uh, like the the nineteen, the Glock nineteen with uh, Trichicon uh, sight and a uh, a light, and that's kind of my go-to. I don't know what are your what are your thoughts on that? Would that be uh, approved by the big Chabowski? Um. On the type of, if you want to, again, is looking at your experience level and what you have available to use. Again, I, I, prefer, I like a good, just a good double action medium frame, 38-357. It's a very versatile firearm. Um, again, just once you learn how to shoot in your level, you can run just about anything. Um, now, some things are going to give you more advantages, um, especially in a target-rich environment. Yeah, having a mag capacity where you have more rounds on board is always a plus. If you're a if you're shopping for a handgun, okay, your, your very first handgun, mm-hmm. um, and you go into, I mean, I, you know, you go into some of these gun gun shops, and it can be a little intimidating. I mean, there is a lot of stuff out there. Um, and most of these gun uh, gun store owners are extremely helpful 
they'll really uh, help you kind of work through uh, asking you some of these kind of questions and kind of trying to figure out where your where your comfort level is. Um, but in some cases, it's really kind of like driving a car. I mean, you're really going to have to kind of try some of these on. You're probably going to have to go to the range. You're going to have to see how they how they feel in your in your hand. Um, so I think I think you are right as far as uh, it being a little bit of personal preference. Um, but you really kind of started out the show today talking about your level of experience. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because I think. Uh, when if you are shopping for a handgun uh, or long gun or whatever, um, that is going to be really kind of a big part of this is really going into not only kind of being becoming familiar with some of your options, but also um, what type of training and how often uh, should that training be so you get to a proficiency level where you're uh, where you actually can use it when when you need to use it. Yeah, that um, that one is uh, that that's sort of a tough question, really, because uh, there are so many different variables in there. Um, again, if you can go to a gun store that also has a indoor range that allows you to shoot different guns, that's almost the ideal um, situation because you can rent them, you can shoot them, see how you like them, and go from there. If you can handle that level of recoil, you can cover from the recoil. The gun fits your hand. Um, it, you ha don't have a slide slide coming back and biting your hand, known as slide bite. Um, it's just comfortable to shoot. And again, even uncomfortable guns can be more comfortable once you learn to shoot, i.e. using proper stance, trigger control, side alignment, uh, uh, principles of marksmanship. So ideally, if you can find a shop that has an indoor range or, again, just getting out and being handling the guns to see how you shoot. I remember my first handgun was a Ruger uh, new model super single 622 single action revolver. Um, and I learned to shoot with that revolver. And then immediately after that, I started buying a lot more different guns that um, I was able to control, try different things, um, and just progress from there. And then once you start shooting, I enjoyed shooting, so I shot as much as possible, and my that just led me down the road for the next 45 years. I've been shooting just about, I can't say every day, because lately I just don't get a chance to shoot every day, but when, I home, when I'm home, when I buy my homes, buy a place, that's one thing I look for is I, I put a range in my backyard. So I'm always shooting. Um, not everybody has that luxury, so you got to go to um, public ranges and you just shoot as much as you can to be proficient. Then as you progress, and if you want to take different classes on home defense, 
or just going to some of these shooting um, sports where it has like ISPC or IDPA that you run through scenarios or as a home defense and you're using concealment rigs and you're, you're training yourself to be a better, more proficient shooter. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I'm seeing a lot more lately, I, I'm not sure if you're noticing it as well, Paul, but uh, I see a lot more uh, folks running around open carry. And uh, especially mothers. I'm seeing a lot of mothers with small children. Uh, it's nothing now for me to be like maybe being a Lowe's, a Home Depot, whatever, uh, and see a, a mother with two kids in tow uh, with open carry. And I, I like to see that because uh, uh, though I think there's a time and a place for conceal, um, I also think that's, that part of it is getting people used to seeing firearms. I think there's we've, we've kind of gone through this decade or two, maybe more, of um, people just being uncomfortable with somebody having a handgun on their side. It's just, uh, oh, my goodness, do you see that person's got a gun? And it's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> and what's your point? Uh, so I like to see the people open carry now and um, – even though, again, I do recognize the fact that there's times when you probably don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with open carrying because um, you don't have to worry about having the uh, worry about whether or not your coach over um, covering up, your, partially covering up your gun or something. I mean, we, I know Mike, you and I have talked about we both live in North Carolina, at least. That's where I am when I'm, I do get back in the States. Just very um, often. <laughs> I, also, I, lived in, I also lived in Kentucky before they passed their concealed carry, and the only way to carry legally at the time was open carry. Same thing in Texas. I grew up in Texas. Um, you could open carry on your property, again, there was no concealed carry at the time when I was growing up in the 80s there. So, again, looking at um, the laws that you have, and fortunately half of our country right now is constitutional carry. 25 of the 50 states have con constitutional carry, where as long as you're not um, don't have a felony conviction where you're prohibited from owning a firearm, you can legally carry without a permit from the state. And it is very, again, it's your environment. If you're out on the farm, open carrying is easy to do every single day. You always, again, the advantage of a handgun is it's portable, small enough to always be on you survive a surprise attack at close distance. Now, generally, once we get more populated, that's where concealed hang, hang or concealed carry is more preferred because you, the masses are not alarmed. Again, we got into this where it's the stigmatization of farms are bad. And with open carrying, we're just dissolving that stigmatization 
of firearms. It is just another tool, like anything else, like a car or hammer screwdriver. It's how that tool is utilized. And as we all know, the, remember the old saying, God created man by Colonel Colt and made him equal. And so that mother with the, those kids in tow, she has a right to defend herself. So does the, um, when she's 70, 80 years old, that woman now still has a right to defend herself. And that's one thing that's nice about the United States is that we recognize that right as a birthright is a God-given right to firearms. So. And we plan on keeping it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A well-regulated militia being necessary to, to the sec- uh, security of a free state. So if I get a right to the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed. Right. Absolutely. And that just did not include guns in common use either. Exactly. I mean, I know the st- uh, the courts have said that guns in common use, but if you go back, the whole reason of the Second Amendment is not about deer hunting, is not about protecting yourself. Again, we are every single male or female in the United States under U.S. Code 246 is part of the unorganized militia. And if you read the Second militia code of 1792 you were to come armed with your own rifle ammunition knapsack tomahawk and be able to you were militia you were the unorganized militia you were able to defend not just your home your towns in your state and country. That's what the militia is. Yeah, we uh, we were a little uh, apprehensive about large standing armies. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that in America, uh, we consider the people, again, we consider the people of America as our army. We are the militia. We uh, defend ourselves, our, our country. So a lot of people think they want to defer that, you know, they want to defer all those duties and responsibilities to the, the military or law enforcement or whatever. And that's just not, that's not really the way we're wired here in the U.S. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and we have history on our side to show that uh, just in the uh, 20th century alone, look how many millions of people by the dictators of Stalin, Hitler, well, uh, it just killed their own people, exterminating them because they're a threat to them. Yeah, absolutely. What else we got? Uh, we got any other questions for? Uh... I did. I had. Uh, so, George, I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, we talked about tactics. We talked about weapons types. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, overpressure and a, a bunch of other great things, weapon storage. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, recommend any books uh, for our listeners that can kind of put a lot of this stuff together. 
Can you repeat that again, please? Yeah, just uh, do you have a book that you think that uh, would be good for somebody, like a starting point, maybe like a novice book and then maybe more advanced? Any books you could recommend? Or, or even like a subscription, because I know you uh, – you're constantly, if you're not shooting weapons, you're usually reading about weapons. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, it, it is so much easier nowadays because um, you get so, so much information available online. Um, just looking at going out to your di- local clubs. Um, if you go to the range, I'm sure you'll see flyers up for having different uh, – Competition events, uh, again, like the ISPC, International Pistol Association, your IDPA, your International De- uh, Defensive Pistol Association, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, your cowboy shooting, if you like um, Guns of the Old West, uh, there's competition for that. Even YouTube um, out there has lots of uh, different uh, ways you can train yourself. You got people in their own backyard training, which has always been a historical um, avenue for Americans to shoot. Now, as we get more urbanized and uh, ranges, you have a lack of uh, open space to shoot now, so you, you have to then find a, um, a range, but there are so much information out there to be able to shoot nowadays um, besides just reading a book on uh, on how to shoot. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the clubs because I know here locally where we uh, live, and I'm sure this is, you know, the case in, in several of the areas, but uh, they even got a, they got a ladies uh, shooting club right here. So, um, you know, the ladies get together once a week um, at, at a local range uh, they share information. They shoot. They have a good time. It's a little nice little girl event. Um, but there's there's usually a club for just about anything, depending on where you live. But uh, think about the clubs, too. I think it's a great source of uh, not only training, but just information. You always learn when you go to those meetings uh, and you get on the range and you're around other people sharing, sharing information. Right. Uh, I remember growing up, too, um, when I was a kid, there was always the 4-H clubs. Um, I learned how to shoot in uh, the Boy Scouts, so I would go out to summer camp every year. I'll be shooting 22s, shotguns. Um, and that, those, those are there for kids. And then when I got into high school, we had, uh, when I was in junior ROTC, um, we still had rifle teams in the, uh, this high schools at the time. Um, not at my high school, but they were available in other high schools. Um, there are still shooting clubs in high schools today. Um, that's one avenue. And then you've got your normal traditional sporting events like sh- um, shotgun, and you got trap and skeet. You've got um, small bore silhouette shooting. Large horse silhouette. You get um, another another good training tool that you can do uh, when we talk about training is an air gun. You've got a lot of clone air guns out there right now, the soft air BB guns and just pellet guns and whatnot. As a new shooter, 
that's another avenue that you can very utilize as training. You still have all the fundamentals of marksmanship. You still you still firing a projectile. You still have to look at your considerations of backstops and whatnot, but that's greatly reduced. You can use a soft air handgun to train in your own home so you get a handgun that replicates what you have, and you can easily go th through your house and just putting up a couple magazines or a, a box with wadded paper with, as a target and just set those in throughout your house and shoot those things. Yeah, I've got and a, a I got, yeah, I got one of those dry fire uh, laser rounds that you put in your handgun, and you know you sit there and shoot a target, and it gives you feedback to your smartphone. So they've, they've definitely got some kind of some cool technology out there that uh, enables you to kind of work on some skills without necessarily uh, uh, going broke buying ammunition. Yeah, that's another avenue of uh, that can is a training tool. It's very utilized, and then you've also got there's more clubs out there with soft air guns or paintball. That's another train avenue too. Just understand that there are different uh, safety requirements, and then different tools for that sporting event. But uh, uh, that's an, another course. I wanted to uh, bring up one thing, just because I. I know it's certainly the case in my household, and it probably is in Paul's too. Um, uh, guys, don't don't uh, worry about it if you're having difficulty uh, training your wife in firearms. Okay, um, I I don't even go there. Uh, Paul Paul trains my wife. Okay, because according to my wife, I'm an idiot, and you know maybe she's right. Um, but she she'll trust anything that Paul tells her. So if a technique is have some other have some other guy train yeah. your wife in shooting. That's how it is. Uh, my wife does the same thing. My wife, uh, I give her uh, you know the fundamentals. She's like, yeah, uh, doesn't it goes in one ear out the other, right? Familiarity, I guess, breeds contempt. But yeah, but if you give her the same information, it's like best thing from sliced bread. Yeah. I mean, the guy's yeah. a genius. Yep. Right. Genius. George, man, we appreciate yeah. you taking some time out. Um, you know, crazy time, uh, crazy, crazy early in the morning, but you got up uh, and uh, sh share some time with us, share some of your insight. We really appreciate it. Um, definitely, we would like to uh, bring you back on uh, at a different time, maybe back when you are finally get back in the in the States again. Appreciate you, George. Okay, that's I will look forward to that. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all. All right. Hey, have a, you, sir. be safe and Godspeed. All right. Yeah, everybody take care. Well, uh, anyway, I thought that was a uh, uh, Absolutely you know, awesome. good, good episode. I know we've been talking about, uh, wanting to talk about firearms for a while. He covered, like, everything, uh, the full gambit from, uh, you know, uh, weapon types, uh, you know, compact versus... Uh, you know, I'm still sold on the shotgun, though. I mean, I, I love the shotgun, uh, and I think if uh, you have uh, uh, the capability, that that may be the best. But I don't know. We'll have to bring George on again, and he can talk. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think that, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's something about, um, you know, if you're five foot three, 130 pounds, 
yeah. soaking wet. Uh, but you're but you're carrying a shotgun. Yeah. Uh, it certainly is an equalizer, and I think there's a certain aesthetic to it that yeah. uh, may even keep you from even having to pull the trigger. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely awesome. All right. Well, anyway, we uh, we hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode of the Pinelander, and uh, we definitely uh, want you to visit our sponsors. Okay, at blacksmithpublishing.com, and uh, we have cool apparel at pinelander1776.com. Uh, go ahead, please keep your head on a swivel and uh, stay alert, stay strong, and until uh, next time, viva la pineland. Viva la pineland.